He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. These are the words associated with a jolly old man with a rounded belly and a big white beard. He is often depicted in red with black boots, a black belt and white trimming, flying around the world on his sleigh, led by the magic of his reindeer that have been entrusted with the ability to fly. I grew up knowing him by the name of Father Christmas, although I understood him to also be known as Santa Claus by many around the world due to the American Christmas holiday films that would return each year. He has many names and styles, with many traditions and beliefs that differ from country to country, or even town to town. He is one of the most recognizable figures in most cultures around the world. Even those who do not celebrate Christmas will recognize his image in some capacity. And yet, to some out there, he is not alone in his travels. To some, you better hope that he comes for you, because if he doesn't, that means that something far worse is coming in his place. My name is Luke Mordew, and this urban legend is Krampus. I was always told that if I wasn't good throughout the year, I would find lumps of coal in my stocking at the end of my bed rather than toys and chocolates. It was a genuine concern for me at my more troublesome times and I remember not only worrying that I would receive no gifts that year, being left out from the excitement and fun whilst my brothers played, but also worried that I would be letting Father Christmas down. Disappointing such a jolly and kind man was the most terrifying thing. Santa Claus represents a goodness in people, a manifestation of a time of year that celebrates family, friendship and goodwill to all. A time of year where you can spoil those that you love and share your appreciation amongst them, giving you permission to indulge in any of the acts we may hold off from most of the year. Christmas is a celebration amongst the darkness of winter, a festival amongst the last week of the year, one that has evolved into many guises, from a solstice celebration to a day honouring the birth of the son of a god, to what is quickly becoming more about a time with family and friends. But with it... These old traditions have slowly stuck to it. They come from different parts of the world, venturing out of different ideologies and belief systems that is a mishmash of festivities from around the world. For a long time, the belief in Krampus amongst children resided in only Austria, parts of Germany and a few connected countries. Although in more recent years, the legend of this devil of Christmas has begun to emerge on new lands, with films, Christmas cards, books, stories and celebrations introducing the demonic figure into different cultures over the past decade or so. It seems that pretty soon, the legend of Krampus will be amongst many of us every year whilst we lay our heads to sleep on the eve of Christmas. In my telling of a story based upon the beliefs of Krampus, we will follow Anthony, who was playing video games, trying to make the day go by faster to ensure the speedy arrival of the following morning. It was Christmas Eve, 
A time of excitement and joy for all the little boys and girls across England and afar. Brothers Anthony and Lewis had compiled their Christmas list together many weeks ago now, already mentally preparing for it even when the Halloween decorations were still up. Now was the time to be on their best behaviour, this much they knew. Or at least, Anthony did. He had already packed away his toys and clothes, ensuring all the dirty items were in the washing basket, whilst all the shoes were neatly tucked away by the front door. He made sure there were no action figures lying across the ground, and that no sweet wrappers or food had been left out on any of the surfaces. Usually, doing their chores was neither of the boys' strong points, and making excuses to avoid getting on with it was a far more common outcome throughout most of the year. But this time, Anthony knew that Santa was watching. It was far too close to Christmas for him to take any chances, and so, he got out of bed and almost immediately began to clean his room. This worked out in his favour in two ways, or at least in his mind it did. Firstly, he has done a last-minute good deed, ensuring that he would be on Santa's good list. Secondly, it meant that by the time he sat down to play video games, it was already the afternoon, meaning the day was flying by and Christmas morning was closer than ever. Lewis, who was two years older than Anthony, had recently gone on to secondary school as a year seven, venturing dangerously close to the teenage years. And with this was coming a whole new side of him. He was yet to do any of his chores, still procrastinating in Anthony's room, watching his brother sitting on the floor playing video games whilst he sat on his phone. Being older, he had more jobs to do, as not only did he need to clean his own room, but he also had to hoover the entire house, upstairs and down. Can I have a go after you? Lewis asked as he watched Anthony's avatar die in the game. No, Anthony snapped back, refusing to change his plans. You should be doing your chores anyway. Lewis sighed before sitting up at the end of the bed, looking down at Anthony. Well, what if you hoovered upstairs whilst I clean my room, and then I hoovered downstairs, then we could play together? Anthony was having none of this, turning back to the game with a simple no, before adding, Mum told you to do it, not me. Before Lewis could even respond to this disappointment, the bedroom door flung open as their mum entered with a frustrated intent burning around her entire demeanour. She scanned the room and sighed with a smile. Thank you, Anthony, for cleaning your room. It looks really good, she announced, making it clear to both of them that the address was to Anthony and Anthony alone. She turned to Lewis and pointed to the hallway outside. I'm slaving away preparing Christmas dinner down there. Your brother's done his room. Come on, it's time to crack on. With this, she turned and began to leave the room, but before she could, Lewis had already responded, shouting, But why do I only have to hoover? She stopped turning to him once again, clearly frustrated by the fact that he would question her on today of all days. Because you're the oldest, and I've asked you to, she said calmly but firmly before turning and leaving the room. But in a classic case of not knowing when to quit, Lewis paced out of the room after her, continuing his case, making claims that Anthony wasn't a baby and was able to do things as well. It wasn't that Anthony disagreed with this, it was just that Lewis was objectively older and got more things due to this. Even Anthony at his young age knew that with this came more responsibility, but all Lewis could see was an injustice. The fight continued outside Anthony's bedroom as Lewis closed the door behind him, shouting down the stairs to his mum who sounded as though she was now standing at the bottom step. Anthony tried to continue playing his game, but was noticeably distracted by the debate that had quickly turned into an argument in the hallway. 
It was here that Anthony heard something that seemed to surprise everybody in the house. Lewis began to swear at his mother, causing her to charge up the stairs towards him where the argument would turn into a fight. Anthony quickly reached forward and grabbed the large headphones that rested beside his games console, sliding them over his head to allow the music and sound effects of the game to blast out into his ears, blocking most of the shouting that was now occurring in the room next door. He tried to focus on the game once again, telling himself this wasn't his fight and he had done all of his chores. Although, he knew deep down that this wasn't true. He turned his head to see the mess that laid under the bed, where he had brushed much of his toys and muck away, not clean and tidy, but simply pushed out of sight. This was an old trick that his mum would usually check and find out, but he gave it his best shot anyway, and luckily for him, the anger that she felt towards Lewis meant that she was blinded by the obvious deception in front of her. Hours had passed, and Anthony now laid sleeping in his bed, whilst his brother Lewis rested under his duvet on the floor beside him. Like every other year, they wanted to wake up on Christmas morning together like they used to when they were little. The atmosphere in the house had cooled since its fiery eruption that afternoon, but the awkwardness had still hung in the air until the moment they had gone to sleep, with their mum trying her best to forgive and move on from the events as much as possible to ensure there was a good Christmas. The silence of the night was filled with nothing but the occasional whistle of the cold winds that blew down the street outside, as if the whole country was asleep in preparation for the next day. That was until Lewis's whispers began to emit from the floor, as he called, Ant! Ant! Anthony! Anthony slowly rolled over in a sleepy state, turning to his brother who was laying on the floor, wide awake, staring up at him. Anthony looked up at the digital clock on the side, spotting the red glowing numbers that read 1.37am. He instantly sighed, knowing it was far too early to get up, and now he may struggle to get back to sleep thanks to his brother. Although, this frustration was disturbed by the next words that came out of Lewis's mouth, as he said, I think Santa's here. Anthony sat up, looking down at his brother who was trying to seem calm and cool about his discovery although clearly excited by the notion. Anthony's mind had raced from confusion to excitement to annoyance as he began to establish that it was far more likely that Lewis was playing a Christmas prank on him. But before he could open his mouth to respond, he heard a loud thud bang on the roof above their heads. They both paused as they listened to the slow and steady footsteps thudding through the ceiling above. One step heavy, the other lighter, almost as if one foot was harder than the other. How will he get in? Anthony asked his brother with concern. We don't have a chimney. Lewis smiled enthusiastically before whispering back, Well, he always manages it somehow. And with that, there was a sudden loud clang of heavy metal against the floor in the hallway outside. He was now inside the house. "'See?' Lewis exclaimed in an excitable whisper as he jumped to his feet, creeping towards the bedroom door as silently as he could manage. He tiptoed towards the wood and placed his hand against the wall, slowly bending down to peer through the keyhole that led out onto the landing. Anthony, on the other hand, did not move from his bed, 
Something was strange about what was going on that night. He had never seen or heard Santa Claus before, but that hard thud that echoed through the house was not a sweet jingling of bells, but a heavy, metallic clang. Lewis didn't care and was far too excited by the events that were unfolding before him to consider anything amiss as he turned back to Anthony with a smile, beckoning his brother over to him with a wave of his hand. Anthony didn't move, gripping his bedsheets tightly as he noticed his breath appearing in front of his face, as if a window had been left open inside. I can see him, Lewis whispered with excitement before turning back to the keyhole to get a better look as he continued to describe the sight to his little brother. He's wearing red, he exclaimed excitedly. It looks quite dirty, he added, now growing confused by it, causing Anthony to grip the sheets tighter as his breathing grew heavier. He's huge, Lewis whispered, now growing more confused as he described what he could see. Lewis began to explain something else, but stopped in his tracks for a moment, before whispering, It looks like... horns... Anthony leant forward, begging Lewis to get away from the door whilst maintaining a panicked whisper. But his brother didn't listen, instead whispering back, Wait, he's turning this way. There was a moment's pause where Anthony watched his brother, wishing he could see what he could see, but too afraid to move from where he was before Lewis finally stood up straight, turning to Anthony with tears filling his eyes. He stared back at his scared little brother and shook his head, finally saying with a whimper, That's not Santa. With this, Lewis began to pace towards Anthony's bed, but before he could make it fully back to the room, the bedroom door flung open with force. Anthony lifted the duvet that he gripped in his hands above his head the moment Lewis let out a scream of fear, hiding away from whatever it was on the other side of that door. The room filled with bitterly cold air as if a blizzard had blown its way in from the shadow. Lewis screamed for Anthony's help as the sounds of Christmas bells mixed with the heavy clunks of metal slammed against the floor around them. Anthony didn't move, sitting in the cold dark under the safety of the bed covers as his brother's cries grew more distant whilst being dragged back into the hall. Lewis continued to scream for both his brother and for his mum, but she didn't come. It was as if she could not hear a single thing that was happening. Anthony remained sat, crying and shaking as the screams disappeared, leaving the house in silence once again. All right, I think I hacked in. We're on the air? Shh, security's outside. But how's my hair? It's a radio station. Psst. Psst. You guys hear about the Beyond the Shadows podcast with Ryan and Scott? You guys into paranormal? What about true crime? How about UFOs and cryptids? We also have mad hauntings. We got security. No, we don't. We're not big enough to need it yet. No, we got security. Hey, what are you guys doing? Get out of here. Listen to the Beyond the Shadows podcast. Beyond the Shadows. He slowly pulled the sheets from above his head and peeked around the room, only lit by the glow of the soft moonlight outside and the red digital clock by the television. 
The room was freezing cold, with ice already forming on the inside of the glass behind him. The bedroom door was still wide open, but now, on the other side, was nothing but shadow, whilst Lewis's bedsheets remained on the floor as he had left them. Anthony was trembling, partly due to the cold, mostly due to the intense fear he felt rushing through his veins, contaminating every thought that he had. He called out to Lewis once again in a faint whisper, stumbling over his words ever so slightly as they crackled out of his mouth, but there was no response. He desperately hoped that this was, in fact, the finale to a cruel Christmas prank that his brother was playing on him. He crawled forward and leant over the bed to peek out into the shadow of the landing that now sat so silently. He waited for a moment to see if Lewis would return before placing one foot onto the ground. He crept forward, now placing both feet onto the ground as he slowly edged towards the bedroom door, still hoping for his brother's re-emergence. But as he took one more step away from the comfort of his bed, he froze in fear once again, now seeing that the hallway was, in fact, not empty at all. Out of the shadow and into the faint glow of the moonlight, stepped forward a human-like foot, covered in dark brown hair that looked black in the darkness, followed by its second foot, this one a cloven hoof like that of a goat. The creature now stepped forward, towering over Antony with its huge stature, a beastly, hairy, demonic-like figure with a long, sharp tongue that swayed out of its unnervingly wide smile. Its yellow eyes fixated on Antony's trembling face, glaring at him as if Antony was indeed its favourite snack. It was cloaked in a dark red, soot-covered and torn robe that wrapped around it with binds of metal chains that it had fastened Christmas bells to, whilst its tall stature was enlarged further by the two large horns that reached out of its head, curling back and twisting like a demon. Antony stepped back. The monster stepped forward. He stepped back again. The monster stepped forward. He didn't know what was happening or what this creature was, but he had just taken his brother away and it now seemed to want to do the same to him. Although, much to his confusion, the beast instead turned its head, reaching out with its long, powerful, sharp fingers and grabbed Antony's bed frame. It pushed the bed away with ease, as if it was as light as a feather, revealing the mess that Antony had hidden underneath it. At this sight, the creature chuckled with a menacing deep growl, as it turned back to Antony once more, whose eyes were once again filled with tears, his entire body still shaking and frozen. The creature's smile widened further, as its tongue began to dance towards Antony like a snake. With its other large hand, it reached out to him with a collection of sticks, wrapped together with golden string. Antony stared down at what seemed to be a gift for a moment, before looking back up at the beast's yellow eyes that still glared into his. It tutted, lifting a finger and wagging it in front of Antony's face as a warning, almost mocking the young boy as it chuckled under its breath once again. Antony placed his hand on the sticks that rested in the creature's huge black palm and took them from him, gripping them tightly in his hand as the beast smiled one last time before turning back to the bedroom door and lunging forward, disappearing into the shadows in an instant. 
Anthony stood there for what must have been half an hour before he finally looked down at the bundle of sticks in his hand, now noticing the Christmas tag that had been attached to the golden string that held them together. He lifted it to the moonlight to study it, where he saw that on the card was writing that simply read, Remember, I'll be watching. Krampus. Around the world, there has long been celebrations in the middle of winter. Long before the times of Immaculate Conception and the apparent arrival of baby Jesus, Europeans were celebrating light and birth in the darkest of days. Many celebrated what is known as the Winter Solstice, a time where the worst of the winter was behind them and they could finally look forward to expanded days and extended hours of sunlight as the days slowly but surely grew longer. The Norse celebrated what was known as Yule from December the 21st through to January. It was around this time of year that most cattle were slaughtered in many areas of Europe. This would mean that the livestock would not need to be fed during the hard times, and for many, this was the only time of year where they had a supply of fresh meat. In Rome, where the winters weren't as harsh as those in the northern parts of Europe, they celebrated Saturnalia, a holiday in honour of Saturn, the god of agriculture, beginning in the week leading up to the winter solstice and continuing for a month. In addition to this, the more wealthy people of Rome often celebrated the birthday of Mithra, the god of unconquerable sun, on December 25th. Later in time, Pope Julius I chose December 25th as the date to celebrate the birth of Christ as before then, there was never a specific time of year or date depicted for the birth in the Bible. It is commonly accepted amongst many that the church chose this date for logical reasons. By placing it here, it could be easily adopted and would absorb the traditions already in place of the pagan Saturnalia festival. This was first called the Feast of the Nativity and spread to Egypt before eventually venturing into England by the end of the 6th century. It made sense from a political point of view. By holding Christmas at the same time as traditional winter solstice festivals, church leaders increased the chances that Christmas would be embraced by the public and by the Middle Ages, Christianity had, for the most part, almost completely replaced the pagan religion. Christmas here was a raucous occasion with a drunken, carnival-like atmosphere comparable to today's Mardi Gras. In a tradition that is reminiscent of carol singing, although more like that of trick-or-treating in Halloween, the poorer of the people would go to the houses of the rich and demand their best food and drink. If the owners failed to comply at this time, their visitors would terrorise them with mischievous antics. In the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell and his Puritan forces took over the lands of England in 1645 and vowed to rid England of decadence and, as a part of these efforts, cancelled Christmas. Later, Charles II would be restored to the throne and, with him, would come the return of the popular holiday once more. Although, the pilgrims that left the shores of England for North America in 1620 were even more orthodox in their Puritan beliefs than even Cromwell, 
And as a result, Christmas was non-existent amongst the lands of North America. In some places, such as Boston, it was even a finable offence of five shillings if anyone was to exhibit any Christmas spirit. After the American Revolution, English customs fell out of favour even further, including Christmas. It wasn't until the 1800s that Americans began to embrace Christmas fully, but now they had reinvented it, changing it from an exciting carnival-like holiday and turning it into a family-centred day of peace and nostalgia. And finally, on as recent as the 26th of June 1870, Christmas was declared a federal holiday. It was around this time that English author Charles Dickens wrote the classic holiday tale, A Christmas Carol. The overall message of the importance of goodwill towards others struck a chord with the people of the United States and the United Kingdom, showing members of both societies the benefits of celebrating the holiday of Christmas. It was also around this time that the families were opening their minds to a more sensitive and emotional aspect of raising children, and Christmas Day provided families with a time where they could lavish their kids with gifts and affection without going as far as to spoil them. It would be over the next several decades that the Americans and British would continue to build holiday traditions, taking part of different cultures' holidays and blending them into a mixing bowl of Christmas, including Christmas trees, crackers, stockings, and the legendary man in red, Santa Claus himself. The legend of Santa Claus can be traced as far back as around 280 AD. It was at this time, in what would later become the country of Turkey, that a monk by the name of Saint Nicholas was born. But as he grew up, it is said that he became known for giving away all of his inherited wealth, instead using his time travelling the country helping the sick and the poor. It is due to these acts of kindness that he would become known as the protector of children and sailors. In the December of 1773, and again in 1774, a New York newspaper reported on a group of Dutch families gathering together to honour the anniversary of his death on the 6th of December. This was the first time the man as we know him to be was mentioned on the shores of the USA. Referenced as Sinterklaas, a nickname of sorts of its full name, Sint Niklas, which in itself is simply Dutch for Saint Nicholas. It is not difficult to see how the Dutch nickname of Sinterklaas became Santa Claus amongst the English-speaking people of North America, and by 1822, Episcopal minister Clement Clark Moore wrote the now extremely famous poem titled An Account of a Visit from Saint Nicholas, which is nowadays more recognised by its opening line. Twas the night before Christmas. In this poem, the now Santa Claus was depicted as a jolly man who spent the night of Christmas Eve flying from home to home on a sleigh driven by reindeer where he would place toys for the children when they awoke. A story that has been spread about the appearance of Santa Claus is somewhat of a miniature urban legend in itself, with many believing that it was in fact Coca-Cola that transformed our previously green Christmas saint into a bright red bearded man. In truth, it wasn't until 1931 that Coca-Cola would hire the illustrator Haddon Sundblom to create an image of Santa Claus for them to advertise the fact that their drink could be used all year round and not just the hot summer months. 
Years before this, the now iconic version of Santa Claus in his red getup was created by the political cartoonist Thomas Nast in 1881 for Harper's Weekly, drawing upon Moore's poem just as Sunblom would do in later years. Santa Claus being exclusively red is fairly new in its existence, being depicted in green, blue, mustard yellow or even purple throughout the 19th century. In England, the name of Santa Claus and Father Christmas are synonymous with each other, although they were not always the same being. Father Christmas actually dates as far back as the 16th century in Britain during the reign of Henry VIII, where he was pictured as a large man in green or scarlet robes lined with fur. He was known to be the spirit of good cheer at Christmas, bringing peace, joy, good food and wine to the joyous occasion. By this point, England no longer celebrated the feast day of St. Nicholas on the 6th of December, leaving only Christmas, and by the time Christmas had revived in the Victorian era, he had arrived as an emblem of Christmas joy and good cheer. You have most likely seen him depicted several times before without even realising it, as you notice the ghost of Christmas present in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol looks strangely similar to a Victorian like Santa. But before all of these tales of Father Christmas and Santa Claus with his magical reindeer, there were stories told of Saint Nicholas for many years, and although they may not have been as big, camp and magical as what he would later become, they were still outlandish in their own right, with tales of him saving three sisters from being sold into slavery and prostitution by throwing coins into their window at night, and tales of him bringing three children back to life after they were murdered, cut up and boiled by a cannibal. His stories were told widely amongst several cultures, and his kindness and goodness was lauded by many as the best of us. This is what brought about the feast day of the 6th of December. This was now a long-standing tradition, with Saint Nicholas even being the most popular saint in Europe by the Renaissance period of history. It was even after the Protestant Reformation, when the veneration of saints were discouraged, that Saint Nicholas maintained a positive reputation amongst the people, especially in Holland. You may be asking yourself at this point why I've spoken so much about Father Christmas, Saint Nicholas and Santa Claus, when I should be delving into the history of Krampus. But you see, before we can look into the existence of this darker side of Christmas spirit, we must first understand the origins of the time itself, and only then can we truly appreciate what this strange and devilish being really is. Have you ever heard or repeated a tonal phrase, only to think to yourself afterwards, why do we say that? If you have, then I've found a great podcast for you. Hosted by father and son, Scott and Liam Kelly, the podcast Why Do We Say That is now beginning its second season, where each episode delves into the etymology of everyday phrases. I'm currently in the process of listening to an episode about the phrase, keep it under your hat, and I've just finished listening to Why We Say, Breaking the Ice, and I love delving into these histories and reasons behind these phrases. The episodes are released every Tuesday, and season one is available to hear in its entirety now. I know many of you listening to my podcast like to look into the history behind the things we see in today's world, so I think you'll thoroughly enjoy Why Do We Say That? available on most podcast providers. Since August, we've been running an exclusive series alongside our main episodes on Patreon. 
Here, our patrons get ad-free versions of this content, as well as extra episodes just for them, delving into fascinating legends that will never be covered in the main series. Here, our patrons have the ability to vote on what legends we cover, see behind-the-scenes content, get exclusive episodes, and money off any future merchandise that we may release. These exclusive episodes do not break between seasons and have continued between the previous and this one. Why not come be part of the team as a mythologist for £4 a month or an anthropologist for £8 a month? We have a lot planned for the new year and we can't wait to share it. So we'll see you there. And now, back to the legend. To this day, the Feast of St. Nicholas is still celebrated in parts of Europe on the 6th of December. In many of these places, this happens as well as Christmas Day, rather than instead of. It is on the 6th of December that little boys and girls of these areas are given small gifts in remembrance of St. Nicholas, with some doing the gifts only on the 6th, some only on the 25th, and others doing a small few gifts on the 6th before giving more in full once the 25th comes around. We all know of the night before Christmas, affectionately known as Christmas Eve, where Santa Claus, also known as Father Christmas, climbs down our chimneys to drop off presents. But the night before the Feast of St. Nicholas, December the 5th, is an eve just the same, although far darker in its ideas. That night has been called amongst those that know the tales as Krampusnat, translating as Krampus Night, a night where a vicious, horned, devil-like creature covered in hair appears on your streets, searching for and hunting the bad children in the area. He is often depicted as having either brown or black fur covering his skin, with cloven hooves for feet and the horns of a goat. He is consistently known to have a long, pointed tongue that lolls out of his mouth that he controls with menacing movements between his sharp, pointed teeth, with some suggesting that his appearance is inspired by that of the horror and fantasy novella The Great God Pan. He is known to carry chains around his body, an addition thought to be added by the Christian church to symbolize the binding of the devil, excepting that if Krampus was going to continue amongst folklore, they needed to bind it both symbolically and metaphorically. He is known to thrash these chains in a dramatic fashion, causing loud, sharp bangs to echo all around him, whilst the bells of various sizes dangle from the metal, jingling in the recognisable sound of Santa's more jolly bells. In its more pagan description, Krampus is said to carry a bundle of birch branches that he would use to whip, swat, and beat children with. On his back, he is sometimes described as carrying a sack or a basket, a tool that he would use to take away evil children to eat, drown, or transport to the underworld as punishment. Like many other aspects of our popular holidays, Krampus was originally purely a pagan creation, with some suggesting that he was originally known to be the son of Hell, the goddess of death amongst Norse mythology, making him the grandson to Loki, the god of mischief. 
Once again, like many other aspects of popular holidays, he was eventually grafted onto the celebrations of Christian traditions and would become, to some, a partnership alongside St. Nicholas. Krampus is not the only figure to work in partnership with St. Nicholas amongst Europe. With Connect Ruprecht in some places of Germany and Zwarte Piet, translating as Black Piet, the Dutch counterpart who has caused controversy in recent years as its design is quite strikingly similar to that of the racist act of blackface. Although it does seem throughout that they are all variations of the same part of folklore and, perhaps due to its dramatic, dark and cinematic-like design, Krampus seems to be the one that is spreading as the yin to Santa Claus's yang, a dark companion amongst Christmas's shadow. It is said that on the 5th of December, the night of Krampusnat, Saint Nicholas and Krampus will venture from house to house but whilst St. Nicholas will reward the well-behaved children with modest gifts, such as walnuts, chocolates, oranges, or dried fruit left in their shoes, Krampus will sneak into the rooms of the badly behaved children and beat them with his birch rods, even going as far as to take the worst of the children away to either be tortured, killed, or eaten. In some, less extreme variations of the tale, it is Krampus that leaves behind coal instead of gifts, occasionally also leaving behind the bundles of birch rods for the parents to do with as they deemed fitting. In the state of Styria, amongst Austria, the left-behind twigs are painted gold and displayed somewhere around the house throughout the following year as a reminder to any child that may temporarily forget of Krampus's existence through the months of spring and summer. In some of the smaller towns in this area, Krampus does not work alone on the darker side of Christmas, having his own elves of sorts with smaller, wild man-like beings. In more urban places, such as Salzburg, Krampus has become part of the popular Christmas markets, where he appears as a far more toned-down variation of the legend. In these, more tourist-friendly depictions of the being, Krampus is deemed to be more cheeky and humorous than fearsome. In many parts of Slovenia, a place that's been greatly affected by Austrian culture, Krampus exists under the name of Parkel and is one of the companions of Miklavš, the Slovenian variant of Saint Nicholas. In Croatia, Krampus is described amongst some as a devil wearing a cloth sack around his waist and chains around his neck and limbs. Here, it is tradition for a child to receive a golden branch to represent their good deeds throughout the year alongside their gifts. However, if the child has misbehaved, Krampus will steal the gifts for himself and leave behind only a silver branch. The origins of this beastly Christmas devil are said to have come from Germany, with his name deriving from the German word Krampon, which translates to claw. Theories suggest that he was originally there to be part of pagan rituals for the winter solstice, although with the spread of Christianity, he began, like Saint Nicholas, to merge with the traditions of Christmas. This was despite the efforts of the Catholic Church to ban his existence completely. Krampus's frightening presence was suppressed as much as possible for many years as the Catholic Church forbade the excitable celebrations in the 12th century, noting the being's resemblance to the devil. Between 1934 and 1938, when Austria was living under fascist rule, 
the Fatherlands Front and the Conservative Christian Social Party would play a huge part in the dampening of Krampus's tail as they found the creature to be a despicable creation of the Social Democrats, representing sin and anti-Christian ideals. The newspaper of the Austrian Catholic Union called for a boycott of Krampus, whilst the government of the capital of East Tyrol, known as Lyons, made the bold statement that they would be arresting Krampus when he next arrived. In 1953, the head of Vienna's kindergarten system also released a pamphlet calling Krampus an evil man and warning parents that celebrating him could scar their children for life. But as much as these forces tried to demolish the folklore of Krampus amongst the people of Austria, he remained. Amongst the earlier days of the Alpine regions of Austria, a seasonal play would spread throughout the area known as a Nikolaspiel, meaning a Nicholas play. The Nikolaspiel featured aspects such as the competition for the human soul and played on the questions of morality. In these plays, St. Nicholas would reward children for their scholarly efforts rather than doing so due to good behaviour, and for a good while, this was a consistent theme that grew amongst these regions where the Roman Catholic Church had significant influence. As I'm growing so used to saying when it comes to discussing any modern holiday, there were already pagan traditions in place amongst the Alpine regions that had become intertwined with Catholicism. Back then, people would masquerade as a devilish-like figure named Perched. This was a two-legged humanoid goat with a long neck cloaked in animal fur. People would dress this way in march in processions known as Perchtenlauf, and was eventually banned by several authorities under the Catholic Church. That said, due to the sparse population and rough environments within the Alpine region, enforcing this ban was difficult and was thus rendered useless. Soon enough, the Perchtenlauf, inspired by the Nikolaspiel, would merge, introducing Saint Nicholas and his set of morals, and over time, the Perch transformed in folklore into the being that is now known as Krampus. The traditional parades became what are now known as Krampuslauf, translating in English to Krampus Run. In some areas of Austria, Slovenia, Hungary, the Czech Republic and Germany, these runs became and continue to become increasingly popular. On this night, young men dress up as Krampus and attempt to scare the audience of the parade with their antics, quite literally chasing and swatting the public, much to some of the tourists' dismay when they arrive to witness the events. This celebration and festival of Krampus has grown so fast in the past decade that it has now also begun popping up in several cities across North America, with events already being put on show in LA, Philadelphia, Portland, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Washington DC, and many more. This is a tradition that is new amongst many, although goes far beyond our expectations, with old Krampus costumes and masks being displayed in museums and worth a hefty price. With the pressure of a perfect Christmas day and the commercialization of gift giving and receiving in many parts of the world, not to mention the growing number of atheists looking to make Christmas their own without a church involved, it is no surprise that this exciting new creature has grown in popularity so fast. 
Krampus is the anti-Christmas, whilst also being very much part of it. Not to destroy the holiday, but to add a much needed element of freshness in the guise of darkness. To some, the idea of the devil of Christmas is not Christmas-like at all. But then again, I'm English. In this country, telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve was very much part of our culture's tradition for many years. Let's not forget the horror-like aspects of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. If the day comes that I have children, I will most likely introduce Krampus into the mythology of our household at Christmas. Perhaps a more toned-down version of the events, mixed more into Christmas Eve rather than Krampusnacht, and I imagine many others will also. Perhaps in a hundred years' time, Santa Claus and Krampus will go hand-in-hand amongst many households as our traditions and folklore consistently change as time goes on. The beastly creature is now featured in several films and has found itself in comic books, cartoons, songs and artwork. Europeans have been exchanging greeting cards featuring Krampus since the 19th century, usually alongside a humorous rhyme, phrase or poem. Here, he is seen to be looming over children with menacing intent, often with one human foot and one cloven foot. Even sexy variations of Krampus found themselves in the post, with Krampus pursuing busty women instead of badly behaved children. In some occasions, the artists would even go as far as to make Krampus themselves a sexy, voluptuous, devil-like woman. Now, there is a wide variety of options, from the more cute side of things to the darker and more menacing. It was in 2004 when the graphic designer Monty Bouchamp published a book of Krampus cards and helped organise an art show inspired by them in America. Before then, many had not witnessed the existence of this devil-like creature, and although it cannot be claimed that Bouchamp is solely responsible for the introduction of Krampus to the shores of North America, it has since continued to grow into a new tradition amongst many. Before Halloween is even over, the shelves are already being taken down and moved to the sales section, ensuring room for the greens, reds, whites and gold to appear in the shop windows, advertising new Christmas stock. It seems one holiday cannot even be done before another has been marketed and advertised to us. Christmas decorations on sale before Halloween is deemed insane to many, often evoking the phrase, it gets earlier and earlier each year. In November, we have Guy Fawkes Night in England, whilst North America has Thanksgiving, and yet our shops and stores are already jumping ahead to the end of the year. It is anxiety-inducing for some, and by the time Christmas comes, many of us feel fatigued by the jingles and flashing lights. Perhaps Krampus is an opportunity to allow Halloween to seep into Christmas, like Christmas does into it. Perhaps it is an opportunity to turn the darker side of Christmas into a new level of folklore. Perhaps it's just fun to imagine that there is something out there willing to punish those who try to spoil Christmas for us with their overly capitalistic, aggressively commercial ways. Perhaps... We all need a little bit of Krampus in our lives, as Santa Claus keeps tabs on our behaviours. Maybe we should just embrace it. After all, he could be watching us as well.
Urban Legends is written and produced by Luke Mordew in association with Mordew Pictures. Original score by Billy Jupp with additional sounds from storyblocks.com. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more, make sure to click subscribe on your chosen podcast provider and delve into the mysteries of our previous and future episodes. If that's not enough for you, then join us on Patreon for hidden episodes, extra content and a chance to vote on what legends we cover. To find out more, visit lrmore2.com forward slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ULpodcast, on Instagram at urbanlegends.podcast or on Facebook by simply searching Urban Legends Podcast. 